Your Excellency, Oman's Permanent Representative to the United Nations Ambassador, Dr. Mohammed Al-Hassan, Dr. John Duke Anthony, President and CEO of the National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations, Ambassador Richard Schmier, Professor Funch, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen from around the world, especially those in the Sultanate of Oman. A very good morning and salam aleikum, ahlan wa salam. Welcome to the U National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations webinar titled Eye on Oman, <coughs> a constancy amid modernization and development. Moderating the program, introducing the speakers, and providing <coughs> important background and context will be National Council on U.S.-Arab Relations founding president and CEO, Dr. John Duke Anthony. Not, a, not everyone in the audience is aware that Dr. Anthony is no stranger to Oman. Many are also unaware that he's characteristically reluctant and hesitant to speak about himself. However, in this regard, those of us, like myself, that work under Dr. Anthony's leadership are, aren't as reluctant. One example should suffice. At a ceremony in Washington, D.C. two years ago, Oman, under the leadership of Her Excellency Ambassador Hunaina Al-Mugheri, honored Dr. Anthony. The occasion was a special iftar, a breaking of the fast by Muslims during the month of Ramadan that was hosted by Her Excellency Ambassador Hunaina Al-Mugheri. The Embassy's Ministry of Information representative at that time recognized <clears throat> Dr. Anthony's more than 53 visits to Oman over the course of nearly half a century. The representative declared the ministry's formal appreciation of Dr. Anthony's long and multifaceted contributions and scholarship aimed at increasing knowledge and understanding of Oman. The representative spoke of his long and diverse firsthand experiences regarding Oman. The experiences have led him to produce numerous publications about the country. A key feature in these works has been his ability, like few others, to provide hard to come by firsthand empirical knowledge and understanding of the Sultanate of Oman. Few Americans have been as dedicated to providing such rich and varied insight into Oman's strategically vital relationship with the United States of America and the vitally important and virtually nonstop roles that the Sultanate has played in the furtherance of regional and global security, stability, and peace. It goes without saying that we all pray for peace, <clears throat> prosperity, and equality for all in the world especially those in the United States who are suffering from the coronavirus-19 global pandemic, along with the many Americans who just want justice and dignity and equal protection under American law. I now turn the program to Dr. John Duke Anthony. Dr. Anthony. Thank you, Patrick. Um, I'm sure uh, Her Excellency, uh, the Ambassador, other Excellencies, uh, diplomats, members of the media, uh, the international diplomatic community, and other foreign affairs Practitioners are delighted to see an entire program focused solely on uh, the Sultanate of Oman. And as Patrick mentioned, uh, one of America's most steadfast friends, steadfast allies, st steadfast strategic partners for more than half a century. And the three individuals uh, that will be presenting uh, are themselves uh, deeply familiar, intensely, empirically knowledgeable about the uh, Sultanate's history, its culture, its society, its economic dynamics, 
its foreign relations, its diplomatic challenges, its current issues uh, that sometimes do not, or quite often do not make it into the American media. Um, we have uh, first would be Ambassador Dr. Mohammed Al-Hassan, uh, Oman's permanent uh, representative uh, to the United Nations. Uh, secondly, we will have Ambassador Richard Schmira, a chairman and president of the Middle East Policy Council. And we will have also uh, Professor Linda Funch, who has uh, written a fantastic book, uh, Oman Reborn, uh, which um, is so uh, welcomed and admired and Oman and elsewhere that has been uh, translated into Arabic and a special reception ceremony uh, was held to honor her uh, for bringing out uh, such a timely, relevant, uh, and indeed in some ways urgent uh, book uh, to understand this country <clears throat> through whose waters every day <clears throat> uh, pass the item, the hydrocarbon, oil, and gas that fuel, that drive the economies of every country in the world large ones, small ones, medium-sized ones, old ones, and new ones, and everything in between. Uh, starting with Ambassador uh, Muhammad, uh, Dr. Muhammad al-Hassan, uh, he received his uh, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral dis- uh, degrees, uh, respectively, from the University of Washington in Seattle, St. John's University in New York, and Moscow State University in the Russian Federation. He was uh, Oman's ambassador to the Russian Federation in uh, 2009 and simultaneously non-resident ambassador to the Ukraine, Armenia, and Moldova. Uh, Without further ado, I want to uh, turn the floor to Ambassador Mohammed Al-Hassan. Thank you very much, uh... Dr. Anthony, it's a pleasure to be here. I would like to especially thank you for this uh, uh, webinar on Oman. I think it's very timely, as you have rightly mentioned. I cannot be uh, among the most uh, informed people from this country uh, about Oman, uh, Richard Schmerer and uh, Linda Funch. I think... uh, the three of you are probably quite knowledgeable and more into depth uh, when it comes to the Sultanate of Oman. The relationship that uh, links you, Dr. Anthony, with Oman uh, is, uh, goes way back, uh, I think, the early 70s. Uh, I cannot forget uh, some of the comments that you have given during the uh, a ceremony held in Washington to commemorate uh, the late uh, Sultan of Oman, which tells me uh, how uh, back your relationship started with the Arabian Peninsula, particularly with Oman. Having said that, uh, I would like to also say that the relationship between the Sultanate of Oman and the United States, it's not 50 years. It goes way beyond into the 1800s. That's when the first ship from Oman came to the city. I'm talking from, at the moment, the city of New York and the New York Harbor at that time. So that history and that uh, statehood between the United States and between Oman dates way back. And I think talking about time when it comes to 
nationhood in our region is very important thing that can also explain few things when it comes to the relationship between Sultanate of Oman and the rest of the world. We take special pride when it comes to the relationship between the Sultanate of Oman and the United States. And uh, we are missing from this uh, webinar a very competent ambassador, Ambassador Al-Mughiri in Washington, but I understand that she's busy. Uh, and But we are convening this webinar under her own uh, blessing, as we say. Uh, and I take special pride in that. Uh, the relationship between the Sultanate of Oman and the rest of the world is a, is a, is a story of peace, story of trade, story of bridging cultures. Oman certainly, during its time, has extended its outreach to the eastern coast of Africa, to some parts in other parts of Asia, like uh, the southern coast of Iran, what today is Pakistan, some parts uh, of uh, western coast of India, particularly with Malabar. And that's why when you look at the uh, relationship today between Oman and the, and, these, and the countries in this region, that does explain a lot of things. And I know that uh, Richard Schmirer uh, knows that there is uh, something called the uh, Indian Ocean Rim, which Oman's try to revive in order to bring its, uh, its uh, connection to the old connections that took place in the 1800s and the 1900s. Uh, and uh, yes, there has been a change in the international community. I, I'm talking from New York City as a permanent uh, representative of Oman to the United Nations. I know the number of states now reach 193 that are members of the United Nations. So certainly the, the map of the world has changed. Oman is a country that enjoys stability. It's a country that is in peace with itself, in, in peace with its surrounding and in peace with the rest of the world. We take very special pride in the leaderships that has come to Oman, particularly uh, the late uh, Sultan Qaboos, who sadly left us uh, uh, the end of uh, last year, 2019. But we also take a special pride in the uh, coming of His Majesty Sultan Haytham. He's somebody who has been in the government for a long time. He has uh, uh, started in many uh, uh, institutions in Oman, including the ministry that I, 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 I am part of, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And, uh, but one thing that he has mentioned at the beginning of his reign, he said, Oman is going to continue this path of diplomacy and peaceful uh, relations with all country. And uh, the uh, foreign policy of Oman will see a similar but more engaging relations with the rest of the world based on that. And I think this is very reassuring to the international community. Yes, there are many countries that does not see things in the region as we see them, particularly towards Iran, towards the rift uh, in the uh, uh, GCC, 
towards the future relationship with Yemen uh, and how the Gulf and the Arabian Peninsula is going to look like. I would like to assure you that despite what has been said about, uh, you know, countries in the region, they might get closer to this rising country or this, the uh, relationship between the Gulf countries and the United States will always remain solid. That's number one. Number two, the relationship between the GCC countries will always remain solid. There are so many things that bonds the six Gulf countries. There are uh, voices within the region, particularly in Oman, to also include Yemen. We just discovered that during the war in Yemen, that how connected Yemen's security and stability to the GCC stability. And uh, something that has to be looked at in the future. Yes, there are challenges when it comes to the economy. Who is not uh, subject to those challenges? Especially after COVID-19, we discovered that nobody is immune. The, the international economy is so much affected by even a small virus as, as we speak. But uh, the future is very bright. The location of Oman, the strategic location of Oman, the uh, bridge that Oman has managed to uh, place with the rest of the world, it's going to be one of the greatest assets of Oman. Uh, I don't want to divulge much further, trying to give a chance to my uh, other colleagues, but I would stop here and I will entertain any comments or questions. Thank you very much, Dr. Anthony, for giving me the floor. Thank you, uh, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, Dr. Anthony, if, uh, I think we're back on. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. And we will come back to you for questions intermittently as well as at the end of this uh, session. You're quite right to, to point back out to the 19th century and specifically to 1833, uh, where Oman and the United States signed a treaty of uh, amity and uh, uh, comity and trade, uh, known as the, the Roberts Treaty. Uh, this is one of the oldest treaties uh, between uh, any Arab country in the United States, if not the oldest, in that in 1840, Oman had the distinction, or rather we too had the distinction, it was a mutual distinction, when Oman appointed the first Arab ambassador uh, to the United States. So the relationship is, is deep, it's intensive, it's extensive, uh, but it is less well widely known than it needs to be, uh, not just in these times, but before these times and, and going forward. Uh, we have uh, Ambassador Richard Schmira, the Chairman and President, Middle East Policy Council, which produces the foremost uh, per scholarly periodical uh, dealing uh, with uh, Arabia and the Gulf. Uh, Ambassador Schmira was a career foreign service officer uh, with service in numerous posts abroad in, uh, in the relatively recent times in uh, Iraq uh, since the uh, troubles, the chaos and uh, domestic pandemic in uh, Iraq uh, following the American invasion and occupation of 2003. Um, Ambassador Schmier uh, finished up his career as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State 
for Near East affairs in the U.S. Department of State. But uh, we remember him best and most fondly uh, as he served uh, to be a briefer for the literally dozens of National Council delegations to Oman of academic, student, military, and media representatives and leaders, as uh, did and has uh, Ambassador Al Hassan. So we're kind of a team, uh, just short of being a family with regard to being Oman boosters and doing what we can to strengthen and expand uh, this extraordinarily rich and diverse uh, relationship. Ambassador Shmira. Well, Dr. Anthony, I, I certainly want to thank you and your colleagues at the National Council uh, for the opportunity to join today's conversation uh, and to share my thoughts on present-day Oman. Uh, as you mentioned, a country in which I had the pleasure to live and to represent the U.S. as ambassador uh, for three very enjoyable years. Uh, I'll keep my remarks brief, uh, and I'd like to divide them into two categories. First, what I see as Oman's main challenges going forward, and then the strengths that Oman brings to the effort to address these challenges. Uh, like its Gulf neighbors, Oman has experienced a deep decline in oil income, the primary source of government revenue, uh, following the decline of oil prices beginning in 2015. It went from a considerable, uh, comfortable budget surplus during the high oil price years to a series of increasing budget deficits, which it has financed largely through borrowing. So budgetary issues are at the top of the list that I believe the country must address. Oman also faces the challenge of providing educational and employment opportunities to its large youth cohort. More than 60% of Omanis are under the age of 20. It also must try uh, to meet the expectations of a generation raised during a period of relative economic boom. Standards of living in Oman rose markedly under the reign of the late Sultan Qaboos, of increase that any country would be hard-pressed to maintain. Oman sits in a region which is experiencing considerable political upheaval and security challenges, having a long border with a Yemen which is still immersed in civil war. As a member of the Gulf Cooperation Council, which continues to see a rift among its members, which has occurred now for a few years, uh, and with an Iran which is in, under increased international pressure and is increasingly unpredictable. Then there is the crisis of the COVID-19 epidemic, both with its public health challenges and its devastating economic impact. <clears throat> These are challenges that I think would tax any country and any leader. But Oman also has a number of advantages many achieved by wise policy decisions and investments under the reign of the late Sultan Qaboos. Oman has invested heavily in its human resources, especially in its commitment to post-secondary education, including sending hundreds of young Omanis to universities in the U.S., the U.K., and elsewhere. Oman is now due to capture the benefit of this investment with well-educated, entrepreneurially inclined, 
and linguistically and worldly savvy Omanis returning to the Omani workforce. In his development efforts, Sultan Qaboos ensured that all parts of the country had essential modern infrastructure, housing, water, electricity, primary and secondary schools, hospitals and health clinics, and mosques, to facilitate economic development in all parts of the country and to allow and encourage Omanis to remain in their home cities and towns as the country undertook its path to modernization. I think this will prove to be a strength for Oman as it faces its current challenges. During the years of high oil revenue, Oman also invested well in its national infrastructure, especially in the transportation sector. Highways now crisscross the country, connecting all major population centers and providing relatively easy access to even remote parts of the country. New, modern, and efficient airports in Muscat, Salala, Sohar, and other cities have improved the economic and touristic potential of the Sultanate. Likewise, new, expanded, modern ports in Sohar, in Salala, and especially the major investments in the Dukum Port and Economic Zone have given Oman a competitive advantage in the region exploiting Oman's advantageous geographical location outside the Strait of Hormuz. Oman's natural beauty and impressive historical legacy, the peace and security which the country enjoys, and the tolerance and welcoming attitudes of the Omani people make it a unique destination, both for businesses and for tourism, not only from the region, but from Europe, the subcontinent, East Asia, and elsewhere. The Sultanate's free trade zones, its free trade arrangement within the GCC, and the U.S.-Oman free trade agreement all give Oman a competitive advantage in attracting investment. Turning to its governmental structure, Oman enjoys efficient, effective, and respected governing institutions from the national to the municipal level. Its cabinet is comprised of very capable technocrats chosen for their expertise. The elected Majlis Ashura gives a direct voice to the Omani people. Notably, several current cabinet members were appointed to the cabinet after holding elected positions in the Majlis Ashura. The Majlis Adawla complements the Majlis Ashura with appointed members from all walks of life and with a variety of backgrounds and expertise. It also ensures a strong voice for Omani women who make up almost 20% of its members. Looking at Oman's royal family, the new Sultan, His Majesty Haitham bin Tariq, has a background in business and even prior to assuming the position of Sultan, was involved in addressing the economic challenges facing the Sultan, the Sultanate, through Vision 2040 and other efforts. Oman also has the advantage that the royal family plays a limited role both in the country's government and in its economy, which fosters opportunity for economically broad engagement 
among, uh, among the Omani people and helps ensure honest, effective government institutions and policies. Oman also has an important historical legacy in the region, out of which has emerged significant ethnic and religious diversity. As a majority Ibadi Muslim country, Oman is neither a Sunni nor a Shiite country, and thus uh, is not embroiled in the ongoing tension between these two religious sects in the region. It is able to maintain amicable, productive relationships both with its fellow Arab states and with Shia-majority Iran, which lies just 18 miles across the Strait of Hormuz at its closest border with Oman. Oman's history as a regional empire based around the Indian Ocean littoral has made it the ethnically and religiously most diverse Arab country. That history instills a well-earned pride in Omanis and enables Oman to enjoy good relations with a wide variety of countries, including India, Pakistan, and the countries of East Africa, to which many Omanis trace their heritage. So with that, let me stop and we can turn to our next speaker and then get into our discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador Schmier. as we wait for Dr. Anthony uh, to come back on. Yes, thank you, Ambassador Shmira. And we now turn to Professor Linda Funch, uh, who's the author of the most recent uh, book on Oman, uh, uh, titled Oman Reborn. Uh, Professor Funch, uh, like myself, we were, uh, among the few Americans who were privileged to uh, uh, be involved uh, with uh, Oman in the 1970s. Uh, she at the time was working in New York in a relationship comparable, not comparable, but <laughs> in the same atmosphere and milieu as Ambassador Al Hassan, uh, working uh, with a unit that focused on issues pertaining t- uh, to the United Nations uh, in the Arab uh, region. Uh, Professor Funch has also been a scholar escort for some of the National Council on U.S.-Arab relations, a study visit delegations of American leaders to Oman. Professor Funch. Thank you very much, Dr. Anthony and uh, Pat. And I thank you very much for enabling me to be a part of this very distinguished panel of uh, experts today. It is a great pleasure, as always, to to speak about Oman, which, um, in my opinion, is the good news story in the Middle East a veritable gem in a region that is beset by sectarian division and uh, and warfare. It um, strikes me frequently that Om- Oman is omitted in the um, mainstream media. It seems to fly under the radar, escaping global attention. And um, I find that, I uh, feel that this is an unfortunate omission uh, because... Uh, <clears throat> Oman is indeed the exception to the rule in the Middle East. And I think it behooves us to delve more deeply into why this is, what makes this country so exceptional. Um, Of course, its geostrategic importance has already been suggested. It is located at the crossroads of strategically vital land masses and uh, important sea routes. 
Oman has a maritime legacy in both trade and commerce. With the desert at, at its back, the sea has stood as its window to the world for centuries. Oman historically had a very important role internationally as a, a global uh, force in um, as the exporter of copper from the third millennium BC. In fact, Oman was a central exporter of uh, copper, which was um, very important in the manufacture of bronze. Um, frankincense was the currency of the ancient world, more valuable than gold. This placed Oman on the map uh, for centuries. And of course, Oman in the modern era um, has enjoyed a history as an empire in both Asia and East Africa. The result of uh, these factors has led to a sort of a cosmopolitanism uh, born of centuries of interaction with peoples from all over the world. And I'm very interested in the culture of Oman, the national personality of Oman. So I will, if you will allow me, discuss that for a moment. Um, in many ways, Oman is unique. It is the oldest independent country in the Arabian Peninsula. Since casting out the Portuguese in 1750, it has enjoyed independence. It has been led by the same ruling family for more than 250 years. It is a culture of diversity, and of course, many others are in terms of language, ethnicity, and racial representation. But with Oman, we find a mosaic that, um, that exhibits a cohesion that is exceptional in the wider region. Um, we have an Oman model of inclusion. This has already been alluded to. Um, there is not sectarian strife in Oman, which in recent years has underscored uh, many conflicts in the region. Aside from the natural beauty of the land, its scenic coastline, its rugged mountains, its meandering wadis, Endless deserts and, of course, the historic features of castles, forts, and fellow systems. Visitors feel a sense of peace and serenity in Oman, where faith in God is at the core of the identity of the Omani people. They are welcoming to strangers and supportive of one another. There is a national cohesion, a purpose, and a sense of community, which is almost palpable. Omanis know where they've been, they know where they are, and they have a vision for the future with all its challenges. They are a people who, in many ways, are comfortable in their own skins. To a great extent, I believe, Oman's heritage and culture has informed its distinctive paradigm for development, which is, of course, balancing tradition and modernization. Throughout the course of the last 50 years, the Sultanate has modernized to be sure. It has evolved from an impoverished backwater, riddled with domestic divisions, to a modern, cohesive, and forward-looking state. The lives of its citizens have been transformed. And I would be remiss if I didn't pay tribute to the late Majesty Sultan Qaboos bin Said who transformed this impoverished, underdeveloped country, racked by costly internal divisions, 
into a cohesive nation state where the citizens for the most part enjoy a common purpose. As Ambassador Schmierer just said, he built the infrastructure of a modern state. He introduced an ambitious program of social welfare, including education and health care for all citizens. He empowered women to be full participants in the development of their country. And he raised the standard of living dramatically for all citizens. He's developed modern institutions of government, including a bicameral parliament and universal suffrage, and introduced the rule of law. After almost 50 years on the throne, His Majesty left us earlier this year. He was larger than life, a legend in his own time, and truly the architect of the modern Omani Renaissance. The father of this nation is still referred to by his citizenry as Baba Kabus, Father Kabus. Their love for him so enduring. And while the basic statute of the state, or the basic law, which was crafted in 1996 and amended in 2011, sets out clear guidelines that are to be followed upon the death of the reigning sultan, prior to his passing, journalists, pundits, and dare I say, even some academics, predicted turmoil and civil unrest when the sultan passed as if Oman were just another obscure backwater. The frenzy of speculation began immediately after His Majesty's departure for Germany for medical treatment in late 2014 and throughout his eight months absence from Oman. It resurfaced in the months and weeks immediately preceding his passing. And yet, to the credit of the Omani people, the passing of Sultan Qaboos, followed within hours by the appointment of his successor, Haitham Mintaduk, was seamless. It was the epitome of solemnity and dignity. And this, to a very large extent, epitomizes the people of Oman. Thank you. Thank you, Professor uh, Funch. If I can go back now to the three of you and uh, pick up on some of the threads of the uh, points that, that you emphasized and relate them to others that, for reasons of the limitations of time, uh, you were unable to address. Uh, for uh, Ambassador Al Hassan, for example, uh, what people need to know about uh, this ambassador is that he is the Vice President of the United Nations General Assembly. So here we're talking about 193 member nations of that august body, the highest, most important international institution uh, dedicated uh, to uh, peace and diplomacy and civility and its pioneering role since 1945 until present. Uh, he's right in the thick of it with regard to having his ear to the ground and listening uh, to the issues, the challenges, the aspirations of his fellow 192 
uh, member countries' uh, representatives. This is no small burden, no small responsibility. And uh, it is not an accident or coincidence that someone of his stature was elected to the number two position amongst all of the uh, UN representatives from uh, the 193 countries. And the role of the uh, United Nations and Oman, um, not many are aware of how uh, during the eight-year uh, Iran-Iraq war, and then later when there were the sanctions uh, on Iraq after the uh, reversal of its aggression against Kuwait, <clears throat> that Oman was the head of the United Nations Security Council and was the leading uh, light in pushing through a resolution adopted by all that enabled uh, medical uh, goods and care and humanitarian assistance uh, to enter uh, Iraq despite the sanctions. Uh, It's not uh, certain that another uh, leading uh, country on the United Nations Security Council uh, would have done done that. Um, In addition, uh, there is on your historical desk and knowledge and memory, how Oman was the first country to answer President Jimmy Carter's uh, call for any Arab region assistance uh, after the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in December of 1979. Um, Oman uh, became that country. Indeed, Kabul is only a two-hour flight uh, to Muscat, uh, the same time distance for the most part between Washington, D.C. and Chicago, Illinois. So it was on the front line, the nearest uh, to an act of aggression uh, that threatened not only uh, regional peace and security, but global peace, global security, global security, without which there can be no peace let alone any prospects for prosperity. The aspects of uh, Oman that uh, we would welcome you commenting on, Mr. Ambassador, is that Oman, alone amongst the countries of uh, the Gulf Cooperation Council, the six countries, Kuwait, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, and Oman, has suffered but survived and surmounted two extensive domestic insurrections, one in the mid-1950s in the northern interior of the country, uh, centered in the area around uh, Nizwa, the cultural capital of the country historically, in the center of leadership on the Ibadi faith with scholarship reaching out to Algeria and to Libya and elsewhere. Uh, that one, on one hand, uh, being uh, religiously inspired uh, in a manner unlike the other one in the far south of the country, in the province of Dofar, which began as a separatist uh, movement, not totally unlike that of Biafra in uh, Nigeria. Uh, But after the independence from Great Britain of the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen uh, suddenly lurched further left and established the popular front for the liberation of Oman and the Arabian Gulf. 
that too uh, was put down. Uh, it lasted for the better part of 10 years and it uh, left an imprint and it left a lesson and it left various models of the limits of foreign intervention and the limits of internal insurrection. If you uh, care to uh, comment on any of those three uh, matters that have helped to shape uh, today's focus on Oman's uh, constancy and its uh, continuing modernization and development, Mr. Ambassador. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Anthony. Uh, I would love uh, to comment on this, uh, but let me just say one thing. A nation without a challenge is not a nation. Uh, all countries go through challenges. Certainly the uh, time that we are going through now, it's a challenge not only to Oman, but even to the greatest power, including to this country. But how you deal with these challenges, how do you look for the uh, future uh, vision for your country? That's the most important. And I believe that when His Majesty, His Majesty Sultan Qaboos came to power, as you have rightly mentioned, the challenges were enormous, but he managed to sail through, he managed to develop a country, he managed to also take a country with the limited amount of financial resources coming from oil at that time to the country where it is today. I certainly was one of those young people who celebrated the arrival of His Majesty Sultan Qaboos and luckily also the coming also of His Majesty uh, Sultan Haytham bin Tariq. Uh, but I, living in the 60s and the 70s, I've seen where Oman was and I see where Oman today. And I could tell you that the Oman today is in a much better situation, much better footage than Oman in the 1960s, 100%. Uh, the, uh, what we have seen so far since uh, the uh, accession to the throne of His Majesty Sultan Haytham, uh, very bold decisions, trying to also exactly address the challenges that uh, my colleague Ambassador Schmerer has referred to. I'm not worried about Oman, frankly speaking. Yes, uh, it slips through the, the radar. A lot of people don't know much about Oman, especially in this country. But that is a good news because sometimes people know about countries that go through trouble if there is a war or there is something. So uh, I could say that Oman has not been engaged in any problems with its neighborhood, with other countries. And that's the good part of it. Uh, yes, the economy is remains one of the uh, most pressing challenges, trying to create uh, employment for the youth. But uh, unemployment is something that happens everywhere. You just need to address it in a different and innovative way. And I think uh, also the country has been uh, very honest with itself, trying to address the question of diversification, uh, meaning that we cannot be uh, heavily dependent on the oil and gas economy. We have to move beyond. 
And this is exactly what Ambassador Schmerer has referred to. If you look at Oman in the 1970s, in the 1980s, 1990s, and even now, many of our children are being sent abroad, mainly to the United States, to the UK, to other countries to study. I, myself, was a byproduct of those uh, missions that have gone outside to study. I end up in Seattle. was a lot of rain. It was a bit shock for me at that time. But luckily, I managed to get a good, decent education and went back to Oman to also be part of the government. And I think that tradition continues. Uh, I'm not worried about Oman in terms of its economy because I know some of the visions that His Majesty Sultan Haytham has uh, in his horizon is mainly trying to revive the uh, maritime heritage of Oman, trying to also build the Omanis from within. It, it's not a marathon. You, you know, you can turn your country into a hub for money even in a year if you want, uh, opening the uh, banking system. But you have to be very careful. There is so much money that would like to migrate anyway. We could do that. But this is not the decision that Omani's government has taken. Uh, the Omani government knew that there are different models for the economy and for development, but they managed to keep tradition and modernization at the same time. And I know from people who have visited Oman, like you, Dr. Anthony, and also like uh, my colleague Richard Schmirer and Linda, uh, when you visit Oman, when Americans and other people from other countries visit Oman, they always say, keep everything as it is. Don't change anything. Just try to go uh, vertical, not horizontal. And this is what's happening in Oman. You have that tradition there which is very important for us, the Omani, we also have that modernization. To reach a high level of modernity, you don't need to accumulate wealth. Look at examples not very far from us. Sometimes wealth is a curse. We in Oman know this. And that's why we wanted Oman to go on very solid footing even in its political development. Everything has to be gradual, but the people have to be accepting this. The, the people have to mature into this. And that's why in Oman, you see evolution of things, which is very safe, very proper. But I could tell you one thing before I conclude here. The best thing about Oman, the best thing about Oman, despite the natural scenery and the beauty of the country, it's the people and the leadership in Oman. You don't find anybody who is extreme. You don't find any Omani who is engaged in any fanatic or terrorist activities. I remember the Financial Times produced a, an article with a map of the world where terrorists come from. Zilch. Nobody from Oman. This is not by accident or coincident, it is the system that the Omanis have engaged to that produce this balanced personality among the Omanis. Yes, uh, I remember the, uh, the, the current situation in the GCC, which is our natural neighborhood, is very challenging. 
But I would like to assure you that states go through some of these challenges, but they manage to go through it. I know there are a lot of countries working, trying to uh, clear this rift between the GCC countries. But also there is another big neighbor in our neighborhood, and that is Iran. In Oman, we don't have that uh, phobia towards Iran. We know the Iranians. The Iranians know us. We have intermingled through our history with the Iranians. And we understand that the Iranians also live in this area and they would like to have a role to play. Yes, maybe it's not up to the standards or the appeal of some countries, including the United States. But, you know, the Iranians of today are totally different than the Iranians of 1979 or 80. And they are changing. There was an attempt a few years back trying to clear this, this uh, differences between Iran and the rest through the uh, uh, JCPO, the nuclear deal. But it did not manage to have a sustainability and a life. But I assure you that Iran is ready to deal with the rest of the world, to deal with the GCC, <laughs> to also have good relationship with many countries. I know Iranian people personally. They love uh, to have freedom to have to travel to even have good relationship with the united states look at california a lot of iranians are in california so the iranians always have this uh, western view towards the west and i think the world and the gulf region will be better with iran being included than isolated and excluded but who is to decide that the iranians and all of us have to also work towards that. Uh, I would like to stop here in order to give my colleagues uh, a chance to also say something. Your, your reference, uh, excuse me, uh, your reference, uh, uh, your excellency to Iranians in California reminds one of people sometimes referring to Tehran Angeles uh, and that uh, Farsi, a uh, Persian, has long been the second language in the uh, area of Beverly Hills in the secondary schools. Um, turning uh, now to Ambassador Schmira, and I want to ask if you would address two phenomena. Uh, one is uh, Jordan, and another one has to do with trade. Um, at the uh, 40th anniversary celebrations of what was collectively known as the Oman renaissance of all of the return uh, to glory and uh, extraordinary uh, development and modernization and opportunities uh, that Omanis had not uh, so much even dreamed of, let alone fantasized about, um, before His Majesty came to power in July of 19. Uh, 70. Um, Jordan uh, was the uh, country's head of state, uh, King Abdullah, uh, who was the uh, most prominent featured guest of His Majesty uh, at, on that occasion. And uh, I wondered if you might address the, uh, this dynamic in the intra-regional uh, uh, aspects of Oman's foreign relations. And the second one has to do with trade. 
um, all of us or most of us are familiar with the old adage that success in business has to do with location, 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 location. Now, Oman uh, arguably is more favorably situated than any of the GCC countries uh, to capture the lion's share of international trade uh, investment and technology cooperation and reaching out as a hub uh, uh, to Central Asia and uh, to uh, Eastern Africa and the South Asia and Southeast Asia like none of the other GCC countries, but some uh, places in the GCC region, such as Dubai or Dubai, uh, and elsewhere have captured this uh, position and role. Um, Mr. Ambassador, how would you explain uh, thus far the ongoing challenge of Oman uh, to maximize the advantage it has uh, in the commercial realm, the trade realm, the investment realm, the financial and the banking realm uh, that's uh, positioned uh, through Oman's geographic situation. Mr. Ambassador? I'll try to be brief. I see we have not a lot of time left. First, on the issue of Jordan, um, it's very important uh, to remember the long, long history of friendship between particularly the, the late King uh, King Hussein in his time and, and Sultan Qaboos. Jordan, along with Iran, of course, also with the UK, were the key countries that supported Oman in putting down the Dofar Rebellion. And that is something that Oman remembers. So its friendship with Jordan goes back to that, but also uh, its interest in good relations and even friendship with Iran goes back to that um, that time. Uh, on Oman, Oman's strategic position, you, you mentioned, Dr. Anthony, uh, for commercial and trade purposes. And as I mentioned, uh, Oman has made a very a smart investment uh, in its ports and other parts of its infrastructure in order to take advantage of its strategic position for trade. For the U.S., Oman is a very strategically important country for security considerations, given where it is and given uh, the access that it provides to the whole region and, and today to Afghanistan, but also to other areas where there is ongoing turmoil. So Oman's strategic location, specifically outside uh, the Strait of Hormuz and near the Indian Ocean uh, and on the Gulf of Oman, uh, makes it a strategic partner for the U.S. and for all of the countries of the West that want to try to ensure security uh, in the region. But I know we only have a few minutes left. Let me stop there. I think uh, we'll also uh, I'll let uh, Dr. Funch uh, uh, take we'll a come back to uh, Professor Funch. I'm sorry. Not to press the moot button uh, appropriately or in a timely fashion. But you mentioned in passing, Professor Funch, the maritime dynamic of Oman's uh, culture and history uh, and the pioneering uh, role uh, that it has had in breakthroughs uh, on navigation. Indeed, uh, Vasco da Gama, the famous Portuguese explorer, refused to try to uh, sail across the Indian Ocean after he had passed the Cape of Good Hope in the southern tip of uh, the continent of Africa en route to India without the help of an Omani, uh, uh, Ahmed bin Majid, 
who wrote treatise after treatise and textbook after textbook. And uh, indeed, he accepted that offer, and uh, the Portuguese were able to make it to India. Indeed, they had a, a colony in Goa up until the 1960s. Uh, would you like to comment on that for just a few minutes, and then we'll bring this uh, to a close, Professor Blanche? Thank you, Dr. Anthony. Yes, indeed. The maritime tradition is integral to not only the history of the Oman, to not only the history of Oman, but who they are as people. Um, while um, Omani merchants were plying the seas in the ninth century common era, they were going as far as China and Indonesia and Malaysia, um, interacting with people of obviously very diverse cultures. And additionally, uh, introducing uh, people of the Far East and the islands to Islam. Um, so this had a cultural impact. The maritime piece had a cultural impact, and it works both ways. Um, this, in my opinion, has developed within the Omani peoples a sense of wonder about the world and other cultures. These are not people who are insular in their outlook. They're very interested in other peoples and traditions. And I think visitors to the country can see this. But one other one other point on the maritime history. I'm currently um, spending my time doing a good deal of research on the role of women in in Omani's uh, in Oman's development history, um, women themselves in Oman were essential to the success of maritime exploits because they, in fact, were the ones who were the backbone of society when Omani men, for the most part, were away in other countries and continents for weeks, months, years at a time. So uh, maritime history is a very important piece of the Omani national uh, national dialogue. Yes, we look forward, uh, Professor Funch, to uh, reading what is yet to come from your pen uh, relating to the position and role, extraordinary position and role of women in Oman's ongoing modernization and development. And I would like to close on the following note that um, uh, obvious or not so obvious, uh, and the threads uh, between and amongst what our three resource specialists have emphasized is peace, peace, peace. I've never met uh, a head of state uh, in any part of the world uh, who was as dedicated to the concept and notion of peace and worked assiduously uh, to attain it as uh, as late Majesty Sultan Qaboos Allah And in recognition of that, in um, 1998, uh, the National Council uh, led a coalition of 33 other prominent American national organizations, Harvard, the Kennedy Center, the U.S. Air Force Academy, uh, just a few amongst them. On October the 15th, 1998, President Carter came to the nation's capital and in a, a glorious ceremony presented the first ever uh, International Peace Award uh, to His Majesty Sultan Qaboos. Accepting it on behalf of His Majesty was the long-standing and serving um, um, minister responsible for foreign affairs, His Excellency Yusuf Alawi. Um, 
And on that note, uh, we'll bring this uh, webinar uh, to a close. We're trying to be as prompt as possible. And my watch has it at 12 noon exactly. Um, you cannot hear the thunderous applause that would uh, erupt uh, to show our appreciation of these three individuals were we in a cavernous uh, auditorium. Uh, but uh, I join you and them in uh, appreciation for people uh, taking the time uh, to focus on a country uh, of extraordinary uh, value and security and stability and peace, uh, which have to do with the prospects for prosperity and a more solid, uh, mutually beneficial, reciprocally rewarding relationship of the United States with a strategic partner uh, is not known beyond that of the Sultanate of Oman. Thank you, everyone. And we look forward to being with you in future webinars in the near uh, term uh, coming up in the days and weeks to come. Thank you very much, Dr. Anthony, uh, Ambassador Schmerer, uh, Linda. Thank you very much for being here, Patrick. Thank you.